is risen. Awesome. Good. That is great. That's great. You know that for 2,000 years, believers have been saying that. People have been saying that 2,000 years. And right now, over the course of 180 different languages, people are saying that today. What an amazing God that we have. Yes. Christos Anestis. And then they would say, Alatos Anestis. That's right. Nice. That's right, Larissa. She, by the way, Larissa did both my wife and I just broke our heart today in joy because uh, Kim's grandma, full Greek, used to say that all the time. And we miss, we miss that. We miss her baklava. We miss her. <laughs> so good. And so, you know, I, but that's the awesome thing, right? Jesus doesn't stumble on the words. <laughs> you know, he can speak to a, to, to a Chinese person, to someone from Botswana, you know, to, to, to the person in the Bronx, you know, it, it, wherever we're from. I mean, Jesus probably says dude to the Californian, right? I mean, come on. Right? Dude. I'm telling you, I love it. We have a universal God who came to us individually through the blood of Jesus, through His Son. And I love that. And what I want to focus on today is the fact that it's not just that He has risen, it's that He has risen indeed. There's that indeed that I think is super important that we need to hear. We we need to understand. In fact, that word indeed is an interesting word. It's just, it literally means that it's the most real thing, that it is literally what happened. It's, it's done something. It's changing lives. And now there are many truths that we can say indeed to or believe, but let, let me just say, there's not a lot of people waking up today saying the stock market has risen. It's risen indeed. They won't do that in a hundred years, will they? Let's be honest, you know. My housing prices have risen. And that's good, right? Most of you who are homeowners, that's great. But we're not proclaiming that. We won't proclaim that a hundred years from now. It's just not going to happen. But the risen king who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God, he's risen. He's risen indeed. And we want to proclaim that. But that should do something in us. It should transform us. Again, I've said it many, many times that Jesus, I mean, he could have just come down, had a big book, gathered everybody around and said, okay, here's the stuff dropped it and said, peace out, and taken off. But he didn't do that. He came as a baby, as a poor baby, suffered, dealt with reality like you and me have to deal with every day. He became the perfect high priest who can identify with you and with me. Why? Because he's madly in love with us. And he wants a life for us that's free, that's not stuck that doesn't dwell in the past, be afraid about the present, and completely nervous about the future. He wants us to live with him on a day-to-day basis, the risen king. And so I, what I really like to see, if you're, we take notes here because it just helps us, I think, to you know, keep things on track. And the first note I would say is that the resurrect, re- resurrection is a reality that will transform every other reality. If we were to go deep with that, just the indeed part, it's got to be a reality that will transform every other reality. See, we see this in the life of the apostles for 2,000 years. We've seen this in the lives of believers. The truth of the resurrection changed them forever. 
It, it, it shattered every other reality around them. And what I love is we're going to look at this today in this passage that I believe is awesome because it not only, it only gives us this principle, but then it shows this life story of a person just like you and me. And that's what's so beautiful about the Bible. It's raw. It's real, isn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't just pick perfect people. In fact, it picks people that are as imperfect as me. I can't believe I said that without tying up my tongue, but I did. That was a lot of peas. But the truth is, that, that is it. These are people just like you and me in a world that's hard, that's difficult, that's broken, that's constantly trying to get us stuck. Now, what did they do with the risen king? And so the take-home truth today, if I were to just put it really simply, if you walk out of here, one thing I'd love for you to see in this passage is that your life should be transformed because Christ has risen indeed. All right, so could you please stand up? We'd like to stand for the hearing of God's word, just out of respect for his word. And we're going to read John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Now verse 19 goes to say this, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace, or shalom, be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive now the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, hey, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, uh-huh, sure you did. <laughs> sorry, that's the Greek. I'm sorry, sometimes I... Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not believing. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Now though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Okay, you may be seated. Amen. Amen and amen. Here we have an amazing scene. I love this. I love the drama. You know, I love the... I don't like real, you know, drama in my home, but I like a good drama. You know what I mean? I like to keep it on the TV or in the stories I read. I don't know, it's hard. i got three teenage girls, so... But I, they, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. It's my boy. He's all... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, he's good. He just hides in his room. Actually, sometimes we hide in my room together. You know. But you have the evening of Resurrection Sunday here. And, and even though the disciples had, had heard, they, they just hadn't seen it. And, and literally, it says they're in fear for their lives. I mean, th think about it. Their leader, their rabbi, their rabboni, the one that they followed, that they gave up everything for. Everything had just been crucified, which is like the worst way of, to, to, to die. 
and the authorities did it. I mean, the big wigs, you know, the people that are supposed to be in charge, the ones that are out looking for them right now. And instead of having that courage, they're cowering in a locked room. Why? Well, can I say that they didn't have the indeed part? They just didn't have the indeed part. They were afraid. Fear is common to our earthly earthly realities. We can have strength and not have fear in the eternal reality. And that's why I want to point you to three things. The new reality of the resurrection that they learned and that Jesus showed them so they could be free from fear and being stuck. First thing, peace is the new reality of the resurrection. Jesus says that he came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now this was a common Middle Eastern phrase, shalom. But he says it in a way that's not common. See, what's interesting is he actually says something to the ladies who first see him risen. He just is like, hi, how you doing? <laughs> that's what literally in the Greek, he's like, hi, how you guys doing? But before the guys, he comes and says, peace be with you. Because the ladies were the strong ones, I hate to say it, but they were. They were, they were outside, they were looking, and the, women, the men were up there hiding, in the, hiding upstairs. You know? <laughs> and he comes amongst them and he says, peace be with you, shalom. I heard a story recently that I really liked. It was a theologian. I mean, a man that's just super, super smart. I mean, he's an awesome theologian man. He's written book after book after book. And he was teaching at his church, he was teaching the little toddlers. And it was, a, it was an Easter thing that he was teaching them. And, and he asked them, uh, it's just a bunch of group of little kids, little toddlers, and he asked them, he said, you know, what was the first thing that Jesus said after he had been risen from the dead? What was the first thing? And one of the little girls, you know, shot up her hands, me, 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 me. He said, okay, how about you? And she said, I know, I know. Well, what did he say? Ta-da! <laughs> I just thought this. Your kids are great, aren't they? Don't you just love the kids up here, dude? I, love, man, I was telling Orion up here. He's just like, yeah, I loved it. It was great, man. I just love to see that. But you know what? The theologian said he couldn't pet it, put it better himself. He just couldn't because that's what Jesus is doing. It's more than just, hey, how you doing? It was literally, ta-da! Because that is what the Jew desired more than anything. And in reality, let's, let, let's, let's put it simply to you and me. That is what we desire more than anything. Peace. Real peace. I mean, think about your week. <laughs> think about jobs. The stresses of life. I mean, just go through the litany of things and troubles and circumstances and people and you name it. Don't you just want peace? I have four kids and so many of the time, I just, I just want peace. My wife, sometimes I'll find her, she's up and she says, I just want peace, I'm up here, just, I don't want to kill anybody. Because it's hard, I mean, life's hard. It just is. And Jesus stands among them, and more than just saying, hi, how you doing? He says, ta-da, peace. I'm giving you real peace. My existence, today, alive, from the grave, the new reality is you can truly have peace. Real peace. See, because the reality without his peace is we live in brokenness. We live in a world that is sinful, broken, filled with regret, filled with anger. My goodness, just turn on the TV. Listen to a political pundit 
listen to the stuff of, that's going on, and we'll never have this peace amongst ourselves. It has to come from outside. That's the eternal reality. That's the peace that the King of Kings, that God himself, who made us and created you and draws you, can give you today. Peace. Real peace. Now, secondly, this reality of the resurrection brings what I would say is trust. Trust is the new reality of the resurrection. If peace is one of them, so is trust. You see, he says this. After, in verse 20, he says, After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. See, they went from Christ is risen to Christ is risen indeed because they not only saw their king of kings before them, but they saw the fact that he beat death. They were like, oh, you're actually trustworthy. Let me give you a little story on this. Helps illuminate this, I think. Because in the 19th century, there was this guy named Charles Blondin. He was a tightrope walker. And I think this guy was hardcore because that was back in the day before they had the tensile steel strength wires, you know, that are like different. I mean, we're talking just rope. This guy put a rope from one side of Niagara Falls to the other. It's 1,100 feet. And what he did was he walked across Niagara Falls on this tightrope. Over 25,000 people gathered to watch him walk that 1,100 feet suspended on a tiny rope, 160 feet above the raging waters. He worked without a net or a safety harness of any kind. Now, the slightest slip would have been fatal. When he safely reached the Canadian side, the crowd burst into a mighty roar. But in the days that followed, he would walk across the falls many times. I love this. Once he walked across on stilts. You kidding me? Another time, he had a chair and a stove. Get this. He took a chair and a stove with him and sat down midway across and cooked an omelet and ate it. Of course he did. Right? That's what you do. Just bring the, I'm going to cook an omelet. Once he carried his manager across, riding piggyback. Now there's a manager you want. That's one that, that's one that believes in you. And once he pushed a wheelbarrow across, loaded with 350 pounds of cement. On another occasion, he asked the cheering spectators if they thought he could push a man across sitting in a wheelbarrow. Now a mighty roar of approval rose from the crowd, spying a man cheering loudly. He asked, sir, do you think I could do this? Do you think I could do it safely in a wheelbarrow, take a man across? The guy's like, yeah, of course you can. He said, get in. The guy went, nope. (laughs) He just smiled and said, no, not going to do it. See, it's, it's one thing to cheer, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to sit there and say, oh yeah, right on, you can do it. Woo, I believe in you. Then get in. Oh, uh, now it just got real. You, you get what I'm saying? I, I think one of America's favorite pastimes is telling other parents how to parent their kids. That's just one of our pastimes. I love it when parents, you know, new people become parents because they kind of change their tune. Now they're in. <laughs> now they're in the wheelbarrow and they're like, oh. See, it's, it's one thing to say you're ready. It's one thing to say you believe. It's one thing to see it and say, you know, oh yeah, yeah, cheer. It's another to get in the wheelbarrow, isn't it? You see, this is what we mean by trust. This is the new reality that, that, the, that the disciples got. See, they had the peace, and now they put it together with the trust. See, do we really believe that Jesus loves us? Do we really believe it? Because if we can't trust Him with our, with our family, if we can't trust Him with our finances, if we can't trust Him with our friendships, if we can't trust Him with, with our health, if we can't trust... You see what I'm saying? God's got a big wheelbarrow. And he came over to bring us to the other side of death. 
and that chasm of sin. And I'll tell you, it's scary. I've never seen Niagara Falls, but I can imagine. Imagine in your relationships today, in your marriages today, in your businesses today, God says, I got a wheelbarrow. Are you going to trust me? Because I can walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Will you trust me? This is tough. Now, that third part, that last part of the new reality of the resurrection, it'd be power. Power is the new reality of the resurrection. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He says it again. He wants them to know, ta-da, you have peace. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I love this. Because first of all, if we, you know, the biblical scholars look at this aspect of, of John the Gospel of John really just being a retelling of the book of Genesis. And if we know that in the beginning, God, it says that God breathed and life came out and created everything we have. Everything out of the breath of God. And here Jesus stands among almost dead men. They can't do anything on, the, on their own. They're powerless. I mean, like I said, they're cowering instead of being courageous. You see, when they got threatened and life got tough, they hid and locked and went into a locked room. They were doubters and worriers and they didn't always respond the best way. I thank God for these men and these women because the truth is, I'm just like them. See, the more I look at the disciples, the more I see myself. Somebody who makes mistakes. Somebody who worries. Life gets tough and I worry. I'm a, I'm a champion worrier. I'll tell you, I worry all the time. I wake up sometimes worrying. I just do. It's like, how can I wake up? I'm sound asleep. I wake up worrying. What, what happened? But all it does is go, okay, do I trust you, God? Do I trust you? Do I really have the power of your resurrection to make a difference in the worry of today? See, he sends them out in power. Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit. I love this. He breathes on them and changes their reality. And I love that song, I'll Fly Away. Oh, glory, one day I will fly away. But the truth of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, isn't just for when we die. It's not just a pie-in-the-sky theology. You see, it's not just true, like, hey, man, I got my fire insurance. One day I'm going to be in heaven and that'll be great. No, how about right now? How about the power of the Holy Spirit right now in the boss you can't stand? At the toilet that you have to clean because none of the other co-workers are cleaning it. You get where I'm going? I mean, we're talking the rubber meets the road. Dealing with the kids that even though you've told them a thousand and one times to do this, they don't do it. You see, every little piece, every little part, every little parcel of life is broken down to individual truths of how we can actually trust God or not. How we can have peace and how we can display the power of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't just say, okay now guys, go out and do work. No, he breathes on them. He gives them new life. I love that. Because, I mean, the truth is, it's like if I go out on my own, I might have a good day. I might have a bad day. Today I might be great. Other days I might not be able to focus at all. But see, with the power of Jesus Christ, the power that beat the grave, the power that overcame death, can do the same today. So please understand, this isn't about a pie in the sky one day. 
This is a today, right now, in dealing with what you're dealing with. And I just love this part because sometimes Jesus has to get very specific. And he does that right here in verse 23. Because if you're taking notes, it says God's power starts with forgiveness. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, then they are not forgiven. Now this might seem a little weird, like, wait, wait, the disciples have the power to not forgive and do it? No, no, no. What he's saying is he's talking about a proclamation. He's saying you have the power to go out and tell people. You can actually tell people that there's life. That the grave is empty. You have the power. You have me, my words, I will give you. My power you will get in those tough situations. And people will be like, how the heck are you not dealing with this the way everybody else deals with? Because I have the power of the Holy Spirit in me. And I want to tell you about his peace. Will you trust him? This is what he says. See, forgiveness is not something we deserve. It's something we receive. God sent his one and only son so that we might have forgiveness. This is the power of the resurrection. And nowhere is it seen more potently than in forgiveness. Because when we live in a broken world, where we lock ourselves hiding in a room for fear of people outside, what happens when we open that door? We go outside and we say, I forgive you, as they look us murderously in the eye. That's what changes the world. I love what Gandhi says. Gandhi said something amazing. He's like, you know what? I would be a Christian if I saw more Christians living like the, the, the scriptures say. <laughs> and, and Gandhi just took what Jesus said and he said, man, Jesus, he got it. He loved his enemies. He forgave them. He looked murderers in the eyes and said, murder me. I'll still love you. That's powerful. There's no more power than beating death with forgiveness. Maybe you're like me and you struggle with family. Maybe you're like me and you've lived in a world that's hurt you and cut you and lead you, lead you down a path where you've gotten broken, you're bruised, you're bleeding. Nothing is more powerful than going into the face of things that have had that happen to you and what's the reason that's happened. Going into that face and saying, I forgive. I forgive. In the power of Jesus, I forgive you. Jesus started it. I mean, think about what he did on the cross. What power. As they're jeering him, as they're mocking him, as they're doing all these things, what did he say? Forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And he looked to the thief next to him. I mean, both thieves could have received forgiveness. And, he, and the one that said, hey, remember me, he said, I will. I mean, there's a guy that did a lot of bad things. And he forgave him. This is the indeed we talk about. But see, what I love is the opportunity here, and I want to just go into it in verse 24. We don't just get to see what Jesus says. We get to see it played out in the life of a real person. Thomas. See, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. See, he wasn't with them. We don't know why. I don't know, maybe he was getting bread. We don't know. We don't know why he was out. But the other disciples told him, Hey, guess what? Jesus showed up. We've seen him. He's risen. And Thomas, can I just say I love Thomas? Because he's, he's a lot like what you and I probably would have done. We would have walked in and they would have said, like, what? Were you guys smoking something? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, were you guys hitting the bottle up here? Seriously. What do you mean he's risen? Because, see, Thomas knew a truth that we all know. People just don't get out of the grave. Unless they're in the walking dead. But they just don't get out of the grave. I love this story by Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle, um, he had a neighbor... That, 
I tell you, everything Mickey Mantle did, this neighbor would pick on it. Like, man, Mickey, your 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 tree is growing in my yard, or you're, you're you know you're watering your lawn too early, or you're watering you got loud noise, and so he was very sensitive about this neighbor because he didn't want to tick him off so much because he was threatening him. He's like, oh man, you know, Mickey, you, you I'm gonna sue you. And so Mickey would walk on eggshells when he was around him. So he just didn't want the conflict. So one time Mickey was, was, went to his backyard and saw his dog, which was a big old German shepherd, just going to town on his neighbor's fluffy little rabbit. Now he freaked out. He grabbed the dead rabbit from the dog. I mean, he cleaned it up. He fluffed it up. And he snuck over to his neighbor's house and he propped it up in a real lifelike rabbity way, Right? In the neighbor's little rabbit cage, put a little food around it. You can just imagine, right? And he just kind of crept back home. A couple hours later, he heard, heard a death-curdling scream. I mean, just, ah! And he rushed over and pretended to be surprised, you know? He was, oh, what, what happened? And the neighbor choked in horror. Mickey, our rabbit died two days ago! And we buried him right over there. And he's back. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Anyone, anywhere, anytime knows that dead rabbits stay dead. This This is known. Everybody knows this. And, and then we just, we like to practice chronological snobbery where we go, those old-timey, you know, 2,000 years ago people, you know, they just believed anything and everything. No. Thomas is a great representative of then and now. I don't believe until I see it. Give me a break, guys. I love this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and your hands in my side. Stop doubting and believe. I love this. You you know, one of the things he doesn't do, he doesn't reprimand Thomas. He doesn't slap him in the side. He's like, What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? you? Come on. Don't you believe in me? You big dummy. You know, he doesn't do that. He just doesn't. I mean, what he's doing here in the Greek, it's, a, it's so understandable. He comes almost, almost like, a, like a father with a little kid who just doesn't get it. And he says, look, I'm here. And no matter how long this takes, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to step with you so that you get this because I'm alive. I'm the real deal. And I want you to know it. And what he says is awesome. He says, my Lord and my God, my Lord, the one who directs my life. And he says, my God, the one who determines my destiny. You not only direct my life, you determine my destiny. You're it. You're in control. You are the one. See, God God gave us brains so we can use them. And the worst thing is when people pick up the Bible and put their brain down. You know, like, like we're supposed to check our logic and check our reason at the door. You know, we have modern science today because of Christianity. You look at the whole academic understanding of what we have today. It came out of a Judeo-Christian mindset to reach and know more about the Creator, to use our brains. We don't want to check Him at the door. And He goes to Thomas, and He knows it. And Thomas, I love it. He's, he gets in the wheelbarrow, man. He gets in. He got the indeed part. 
And then he goes on to say, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. You see, he says to Thomas, There's going to be millions of people. The understanding is this. Millions of people will believe because of your testimony. Because you doubted, but now you believe. You saw it. You realized it. And people will come to me because of you. See, what we have here is just a common sense truth that we all know. People believe through reliable records and responsible testimony. Let me tell you this. Um, anybody watch the Super Bowl? Anybody unhappy with who was in the Super Bowl? Some people, yeah. Well, I, the days were a little unhappy with that. But, but how, did, how did Jason and Kim come to know or come to believe that the Packers weren't going to be there? That they weren't going to the Super Bowl? I'm sorry to rub it in, but... You know. They weren't at the game. They didn't go to the game. They didn't see it with their own eyes, right? They believed it through reliable records and responsible testimony. How about Plato? You can, you'd be hard-pressed to find any college that doesn't talk to you about Plato and Plato's works. How do we even know he exists? You see, Plato was said to exist and write about 400 years B.C., before Christ. The earliest copies of his alleged writings that anyone knows of anywhere in the world are dated to 900 A.D. Now, the gap between Plato and the evidence of his life and words is 1,300 years. So you have 1,300 years between Plato and the actual documents that we have that say he exists. So 1,300 years. By the way, scientists say that it takes 500 years for actual mythology to take place and set root. So you've got almost triple that for mythology. So how do we know Plato exists? Guess how many copies we have Plato's alleged works? Thousands? Hundreds? Fifty? Maybe twenty? Considering the enormous time gap we are going to need to authenticate Plato's existence, the truth is we have seven copies of the earliest manuscripts of 1,300 years removed from Plato's existence. It is likely that Plato existed. I mean, we, we believe this as a, as a society. We teach it in all of our colleges. But we can know with greater certainty that Jesus Christ lived. The time of Christ was from 1 AD to 33 AD. I mean, we have 114 documents, just 114 that are dated all the way to 50 AD. Less than 20 years before he died and rose again. We have 5,366 Greek copies of parts of the New Testament and over 19,000 manuscripts in other languages, including 250 books containing most of the New Testament and 325 complete New Testaments that are within 225 years before even the Council of Nicaea. You see, the facts are always there. The problem is, what we come down to is we can see it right before our eyes. Man, he's walking across the tightrope and I've come with people to this point where I'm like, look, I I can say I love apologetics. I love knowing what I believe. I know the facts behind it because the last thing I want to do is check my brain at the door. But it comes down to a simple fact. Are you going to get into the wheelbarrow? I can take the top off of what you believe and say, look, this is the truth. I don't mind. I, I, I try to go with people. I walk with people. But I say, there comes a point where you've got to get in that wheelbarrow. You just got to do it. This is what Thomas did. You see, Thomas went from a doubter to devoted. History tells us that he found peace in Jesus and became a missionary. He trusted Jesus with his life and took the wheelbarrow ride all the way to India. He was the first missionary to India. And he had the power of the Holy Spirit as he helped to see Jesus go to millions and millions of people because of his responsible testimony. And we have the same choice today. I love what 
what it says here in John, in verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you have life in his name. When you look at the weak, is there real eternal peace? Or are you just trying to survive? Are you still struggling with regrets and guilt and shame? This doesn't have to be your reality if he's risen indeed. You can have peace today. Did you trust God with everything you are and all you have? Have you been living a life of trust in this God that has a plan and a purpose for you? Are you growing more and more tired with the reality that you find yourself in day to day? Do you need the power of the Holy Spirit? See, these are written that you may believe. We have reliable testimony, responsible testimony, and reliable records. But it comes down to, will you get into the wheelbarrow? Do me a favor. Let's, let's close our eyes. I mean, let's just, let's just go to a place where we... That's what I love. I mean, God is here. God is here. And the reason I use that analogy of the wheelbarrow is I think it's so simple. Because what it comes down to is we, we can say, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, but, but are you going to get in? Are you going to trust Him? Because the truth is that God is crazy in love with you. He walked the tightrope so you don't have to. That's why God sent His Son, Jesus. He knows the good, He knows the bad, and He definitely knows the ugly. And we all got it. But He came anyway. See, only Jesus did it right, the perfect light, to navigate that tightrope. But He came so that you could get in and He could take you across. And not just that pie in the sky, but every day you can experience the power of His resurrection. You can live trusting that He has truly got you. And that life is not some random, purposeless chance. But you have meaning. A deeper, eternal meaning than you'll ever know. Will you get in the wheelbarrow? Will you trust Jesus today? Lord, we just come before you and we thank you. Lord, we'd love the fact that you're crazy in love with us. But it's tough to look the truth, see the tightrope, see the wheelbarrow. But Lord, we know you've done what you've done so that we could get in. We know that you want to take us over that chasm. You want to give us a new life. You want to make us new creations. You want to give us the peace and the power we need. But God, there are many here that struggle. So I just want to encourage you, if you've never gotten in that wheelbarrow with Jesus, if you've never taken that chance of putting your trust in the King of Kings, I would encourage you to talk to Him right now. And right where you're at, take His hand. 
See yourself getting in that wheelbarrow and having him taking you on the journey of eternity with him. And maybe you're like me many times. I get halfway across and then I look down. Anybody there? (laughs) It's scary, isn't it? We trusted Jesus, but sometimes, man, it gets to a point where we just look down and we go, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? God, I can't go another step. And we start to try to crawl back on that tightrope to the ground that's familiar instead of getting back in that wheelbarrow and having Him take us across. But let me tell you, God will not let you go. He doesn't want you to fall. So just right now, right where you're at, I just want you to take your time, take your life and say, God, I'm all in. I'm sorry for looking back and trying to go. I I just want to be with you for the rest of my life. Father, I just know that you're doing something in the lives of my brothers and sisters here. God, I just pray that if there are people here that want to make that choice, that they would stick around afterwards. We'd have an opportunity to pray for them right where they're at. Lord, we are a community. This is your church. This is your bride. You didn't marry us as the groom. And we your bride so that you could just walk out on us. No, it says you pitched your tent amongst us and you are forever with us. And you will never leave us and never forsake us. God, that is the reality that should change and transform our reality. God, we need your power today. There are marriages here that are suffering. God, we need your power today. There are students here that are dying. God, we need your power today because there are lives that are broken. We need your power today. And you have never said that you would give your power and take it back. You have said, my power is yours. Because of the blood of Jesus, the risen King. And so God, may we just get that reality in our hearts and seek you. We thank you. And we pray that lives will be changed today.